On the night of Monday 8th June 1847, John Sullivan was drunk. Strolling unsteadily down the street at Oldgate, East London, the 22-year-old was wearing a bonnet, a gown, a silk apron, a pair of trousers, and a pair of women's boots. Police Constable Henry Pye's attention was caught both by this attire and by the bundle John was carrying under one arm. Steering John to the local police station, he opened the bundle to find more items of women's clothing. Where, he asked John, had these come from? John said, they're mine. Six days later, on 14th June, John Sullivan was tried for the theft of a cape, a handkerchief, an apron, two gowns, two petticoats, and a pair of stays. The clothes belonged to local woman Frances Norton and had a total value of 13 shillings and sixpence. Under oath, John denied stealing the clothes and dismissed the choice to wear them as a drunken joke, swearing, I had them given to me to carry to the market. The policeman caught me and the person who gave me the things ran away. I had a gown on in a lark, but I had my trousers on. I was very much intoxicated. The court, mindful that this was John's second offence, following a six-month prison sentence the previous year for a crime whose records don't appear to survive, was unsympathetic. John Sullivan was sentenced to be transported to Australia for 10 years. Is this story part of trans history? It's unlikely that many people would treat it as such. John Sullivan lived before the word transgender, as we know it now, was widely available for individuals to describe their actions or identities. There's no evidence that John presented as female outside of the specific circumstances outlined in the trial records. Perhaps most conclusively, those trial records give us John's own testimony, framing the choice to wear women's clothes not as a matter of identity, but as a drunken lark. Surely there's no better metric by which to judge a historical person's gender than their own voice. These are the criteria that usually determine whether trans people feel able to talk about someone as belonging to trans history. We look for evidence that their motivation for gender nonconformity was not external but internal, ideally in the form of personal testimony. We look for continuous presentation as the gender opposite to the one they were assigned at birth. And we look for histories that we can fit into contemporary Western ideas of what it means to be trans. Even if those criteria are met, we get anxious if the person we're dealing with lived before the advent of the terminology that we use to talk about trans identities today. Often, this in itself is enough to dismiss their trans possibility altogether. These criteria often make it difficult for us to talk about trans history at all. What makes this conversation even more difficult to have are the concepts that underpin it. Gender and sex, internal and external motivations, personal testimony, stability of identity. If we poke at any one of these concepts, the whole edifice starts to crumble. When we talk about trans history, what are we even talking about? This book is about the answer to that question.